All right, y'all got some notes ready? So today we begin our discussions on George Orwell's 1984. And we've talked about it a little bit already, but does anyone know the type of novel that this is? It's a little sci-fi. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Sci-fi is often, often overlaps with what other type of novel? It's, 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 it's not historical fiction. It's more like future fiction. Sci-fi. But in some uh, sci-fi, we, we imagine a, a perfect world. What did Karl Marx, um, what he imagined, what he envisioned, what do we call that? A utopia. But now what's the opposite of a utopia? A hell, hell on earth. That's a dystopian novel. So this is a dystopian. There's dystopian and utopian. This is a dystopian novel about what would happen in the future as mankind embraced the tenets of Karl Marx, essentially, and others. Now, can anyone remember some of our earlier lectures this year of a person who was also suspicious of the revolution and suspicious of man taking up power in his own hands to save the world and to, to whatnot? Who else wrote a novel similar to this? Jude? Mary Shelley. Yeah, Mary Shelley and Frankenstein. Frankenstein and 1984 have a lot in common. They're both sort of dystopian. They're both warnings are, or, um, you know, clarion calls to the West to be careful about this dark magic that they are tinkering with. Now, when was the, uh, 1984 written? 1948. 1948. So does that, anybody see the... Yeah, in 1948, he wrote 1984. He just flipped the digits there. And um, <clears throat> this, of course, is right after the fall of Hitler. Hitler and the Third Reich in their millennial... Uh, utopian dreams turned into a dystopia, a holocaust. Eventually Hitler committed suicide, so they say. But Stalin is on the rise. Trotsky and the expanse of the, Uni the uh, USSR, Soviet Union. And so he sees the rise of the Soviet Union. He sees the demise of the Nazi tyranny. And he writes this... Uh, little thought crime. This little book is a warning. So do you remember how the book starts? It basically starts with Big Brother watching Winston, right? Um, it's depressing. It's lonely. It's in a um, dank, you know, dimly lit apartment room. And in that dimly lit apartment room, it's like a prison. He has no freedom because Big Brother is watching him through the telescreen and can hear everything he says. And he has thoughts, though, in his mind. Now, what will those thoughts be called later in the book? Anyone know? Thought crimes. But even worse than a thought crime is when he takes out his diary in the corner of the room and he writes his thought crimes down. And that's really how the book begins. And you can say that the rest of the book is how those thoughts manifest themselves in his life and the consequences of having and writing those thoughts. <clears throat> Make sense? All right. I think as you're going to see, as we read this book, you're going to see that Orwell was partly correct, very much correct. The one thing I think is different about his vision in our world today is that we're voluntarily giving over our freedoms to Big Brother, to Ink Sock, 
etc. Whereas in his world, played a little bit more off the Soviet Union, people's freedoms are, are taken by force and by violence. Our freedoms are taken more by free stuff and handouts and grants. Make sense? Mm-hmm. All right, so that's, I think, the one way in which it's a little bit different. Um, <clears throat> another thing I think is different about this novel and what happens in this world today is that he didn't foresee the... Does anyone know a huge invention that I think is going to be, is going to be a game changer... He didn't foresee one particular invention that would have brought Big Brother down immediately. Do what? The internet. the internet. That's right. Let's think about that. So Big Brother, what does he control? The media. Controls the media. He controls the dictionary, right? Yeah. News speak as opposed to uh, old speak. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. Community. He controls movement, mobility, where you go, who goes, how you go, family, they assign you a wife or a husband. He controls everything, right? He even controls the past. What's Winston's employment? Rewriting the past. He is a spin doctor. That's right. He is a fact checker. Mm-hmm. He is a uh, Twitter censor. <coughs> he, re- he restates the events of the past and, and brings them into alignment with the uh, laws and the vision of Inksock, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of creepy, sounds, sounds very familiar, right? Changing the meaning of words, changing the, the interpretation of facts, all of that. That's what he does um, for a living. Um, <clears throat> but um, I forgot where I was going with this. What was the I? Oh, yeah, the internet. But if, imagine if the internet would have been invented. Would Big Brother have been able to keep all this stuff under control? No, you see, I think the invention of the Internet is the thing that he didn't see, which, which makes me believe that his dystopian future is not going to come true. Mm-hmm. Now, it definitely is going to come true in some places, but I don't think tyrants have enough power, even with their technology, to overcome the spread of truth on the Internet. Does that make sense? So that's just, you know, that's just as far as discussing can this happen or will this happen. But who knows the future, right? Who knows the future? Can anyone think of a time of tyranny when an invention was, was made which uh, brought down the tyrant? The printing press. The printing press. That's right. That's right. Um, tyranny was rampant all over Europe under the Holy Roman Emperor, the Pope. And it was a tyranny of truth. They wouldn't let the people read their Bibles in their own languages. They didn't teach the people. They didn't shepherd the people. There was perversion and greed. And they were even selling, uh, basically selling heaven to people. Y'all know the stories. Y'all already studied the Middle Ages. So, but what happened is Gutenberg's printing press was invented. And what was the first book printed on it? Bible. Yeah, the Bible. And then it, who knows, uh, uh, the um, Pilgrim's Progress was also printed on it and spread all over the place. But one of the things the printing press made possible is what's called pamphleteering. Do you all know what pamphleteering is? It still lives a little bit today in tracts, handing out tracts and flyers. You ever been walking down the street of a big city and someone's handing out flyers? And they're like, got one of these, got one of these? Or they put them on your windows? That was sort of how the news was spread before the Internet. So back in the Middle Ages, though, they would make these pamphlets. Martin Luther made pamphlets, and they would draw funny drawings on them. And they'd draw the, uh, the Pope like as a donkey's ass, stuff like that. Um, 
Like if you think Twitter is a little uncouth or f- people are rude on Facebook, it ain't nothing new, trust me. <laughs> and they'd spread these pamphlets all over Europe. Well, the tyrant couldn't keep, he couldn't keep it under control. So that's the thing. God always, God is going to win. He's not going to let tyrants exercise dominion over this world. He's, they're going to have power. They're going to have technology. They're going to be able to censor and control and fact check, etc. But there's always going to be something that keeps them in check. That's where I think George Orwell's atheism, because you notice there's no God in this, in this story. There's like no God whatsoever. There's no ultimate morality either. You're going to see later when he starts talking about sex and things like that. You're like, this dude's morals are, he doesn't have biblical morals. It's just atheistic uh, morals. But in the real world, God doesn't let Big Brother win. He might use Big Brother to punish his people, or not punish, discipline his people for a season for refusing to be salt and light. Um, <clears throat> but he's not going to let them win. And so I think that's some of the, some of the things that are, are a little bit different about 1984 in the real world is that, um, you know, God. So <clears throat> let's um, talk about a couple of things here. I want to talk about specifically the concept of ideas having consequences. All right, what does that mean, ideas have consequences? If you think something, uh, it will cause certain things that might not be good for you. Or they might be good. Yeah, that thoughts are invisible, right? They are in the invisible realm of reason, truth. But do the thoughts that you have manifest themselves in the material, in your life, in your, in your words, in your actions. Right? See, um, the Bible says, as a man thinketh, it's King James, so he is. Very important truth to understand that what is happening between your ears is going to eventually happen with your hands and your feet and your mouth and your eyes and your ears. Make sense? Or, for example... Um, if a nation embraces certain isms, humanism, communism, right, libertarianism, uh, etc., then eventually that nation's culture is going to manifest that ism. You understand what I mean? Okay. Um, the 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 way the church looks today on the outside, the way they do church worship, the way they do. Um, you know, communication, the way they evangelize, the way they deal with children and, and new converts. Oh, the way a church behaves and acts and talks is a manifestation of what that church believes, their isms. Okay? And, and, and because we're, you're getting a, a superior education, we talk about isms, we talk about thoughts, we talk about ideas, so that when you look out at the world, you can see not only what's happening on the outside, but you, you know the isms underneath. You understand what I mean? All right. Just give you an example. <coughs> the rate of cremation in our country has skyrocketed. I can't remember the exact data. I read it yesterday, but somewhere between 5% of all deaths to 50-something percent of all deaths end in a cremation, okay, as opposed to a, a Christian burial. All right. So that's the, that's the culture but what's the cult under the culture? What's the religion or the ism underneath the manifestation? It doesn't matter. I mean. It doesn't matter. Okay. 
So it doesn't matter, so we cremate. Why cremate if it doesn't matter? Why not bury if it doesn't matter? It's cheaper. It's cheaper. Mm-hmm. So what, what uh, ism are we dealing with, at, le- at least to some degree? Materialism. Materialism, greed, pragmatism, whatever works best is right. But is there any other isms that we might be dealing with here? Atheism. How so? How atheism? Because God, does, God wants us to bury God's word is irrelevant, yeah. yet all the cremations in the Bible are of people involved in sorcery and witchcraft or apostasy and heresy. So we have Bible, the Bible doesn't matter. But there's, there's more here. I want you to get down to an even deeper ism that is creating this growth in cremations. Gnosticism. Gnosticism. That's right. Way to go, G. That's impressive. You've been listening, huh? What is Gnosticism? Well, that might be a little tougher to think. It's uh... a... <laughs> It's very similar to what Plato taught. And you remember, y'all studied Plato already. The world of ideals, the world of the perfect form. Remember what Plato taught, that there's chairs everywhere, but in the, in the invisible realms, there's a perfect chair. Do y'all remember that when you studied that? All right. So that, that metastasizes in the philosophy of Gnosticism in that this world is evil or less than, but there is a spiritual, immaterial, ephemeral world where things are perfect. You understand what I'm saying? And meaningful. Now, that's just real brief as what Platonism is or Gnosticism. But what does that mean when you talk about the human body? It doesn't matter. It's, it doesn't it's matter. Physical. It's physical. It's perhaps some, it's, uh, what does Sting call it in, in my favorite Sting album? It's just a soul cage. We are spirits in a material world. Yeah, that's another great. That's Gnosticism. Or his other song, Soul Cages. Like you're just trapped in this, in this cage and you need to be released, raptured out into a, to an ephemeral heavenly world where you exist as a floating orb. Right? The Bible doesn't teach any of that. The Bible says that you will be raised from the dead. You understand what I mean? The Bible says if there wouldn't be for sin, you would never die. And that means you would always exist in a body. Ever thought about that? The body is good. God honors the body. That's why in Christian civilizations, people don't cremate unless they're talking about a heretic, like they cremated John Knox, or not John Knox, other, he was buried, but other uh, martyrs, right? So that's just an example. We could go on all day long. Everything that happens in this world, from the formation of a school to going to school, to spanking a child, to making dinner, Everything that involves culture comes from a cult. That's a, that's a word for meaning what? Religion. Yeah, religion. And it has a connotation these days, but it's just religion makes culture. Ideas have consequences. Does everyone see it? I think this is such an important thing. This is why pastors and preachers and fathers and mothers and teachers and you have to fight to make sure you have the right ideas between your ears, because if you don't, you'll pay for it, or your children will pay for it. But if you do, you'll be blessed. As a man thinketh, so he is. And it's important to be loyal to the truth and stand up for the truth, because just because of truth, but also because you know it's going to have implications in the future. This whole book is basically about that, that ideas have consequences. You understand what I'm saying? George Orwell is looking out at the isms of his world. He's a philosopher. He sees the isms and he predicts the culture that the isms will produce. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. And if you are really educated and you really know your philosophy and you know your Bible, you can do that too. 
You can look at a person's life and you can see the isms that they embrace and you can predict the things that will take place in their life. You can look at a society and see the isms that they believe and predict what will happen. I'll give you another example. We've already asserted that our society is Gnostic, right? Gnosticism. Material bad or less than. Spiritual good. The, the, if the material is bad and the body is bad, you cremate it, right? So cremation comes from Gnosticism. But what about this? If, if the body has no true meaning and significance and purpose, then what are some other things you might conclude? Huh? You might, uh, you, might, you might conclude, like Kurt Cobain, that death is salvation. That's right. That really what we need to do is to die and escape these soul cages. You know who else taught that? Jim Jones, a, a famous cult leader who convinced a thousand people to drink cyanide and Kool-Aid and die. Uh, the Heaven's Gates cult, they believed that they needed to die so that their bodies, their souls could escape their bodies and enter the mothership, which was passing by in a comment. You can Google these things later. Um, but what about just, just what, about, what about transgenderism? That, if, that, that who you truly are is where? On the inside. That this is not who you are. This is random. That who you are is deep inside of me. What does Moana say when she looks into the mirror? No, that's, uh, that's Mulan. Mulan. What does Mulan say? Who I am inside. That's Gnosticism. So if you believe Gnosticism, you can see how, but look, you can see how transgenderism and these strange, uh, you know, sex change surgeries. And abortion, you can see how all these things are the manifestations of an ism, of Gnosticism. How does abortion Well, because, because uh, the inner person and the will of that person is the ultimate law, not the life of that embryo, that less evolved uh, state of being. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's also coming out of evolutionism, Darwinism. Uh, and all sorts of and feminism and other things like that. Now let's uh, let's apply this to the church. What does the church think salvation is? What do they think the gospel is? Like God or like a lot of the church around here? Most of the church in America. What would they say if you say what's the gospel? What would they say? You can be saved. You can be saved from your sins. And the end result of that is that one day, if you're lucky, you'll be raptured out of here and you will go to a perfect state where you have a mansion in the sky. You're also an orb. I'll fly away. You know, release from this soul cage in this dirty, rotten earth that's going down like the Titanic. I'll fly away. Yes, I'll fly away. Some glad morning in that sweet by and by. You see, that in their mind... Escape, or even death, is the good news. And we escape into another realm. Um, fix your eyes on Jesus. You've heard that song? And the, or, turn your eyes upon Jesus, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. Do you see what's happening there? You know that song? 
from the light. The things of earth grow dim. That means they fade from meaning and purpose and they're not as real anymore. And you're focused on the heavenly world, you know, or they, the way they translate certain verses, like whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good, focus your mind on those things, not on these dirty, rotten, earthly things. No, don't focus on those things. Focus on the things which are above, which are lovely. Well, I'm thinking of something lovely right now, and that's the cheeseburger I'm going to eat at lunch. <laughs> and that cheeseburger is good, and God gave me that cheeseburger, and I'm going to eat it um, to His glory. And that is what it means to be a Christian. That is what it means to be a Christian. To be a real Christian is that everything you do has meaning, has significance, it has purpose. Your body, your job, your gender, your, your life, every single aspect of it. Your working construction, working plumbing. The kingdom is coming. His will is being done on earth, not as it is in heaven, as it is in heaven, not the kingdom is flying away into an ephemeral state where you will exist as an orb humming to yourself for millennia. You ever thought heaven was going to be boring? Anybody ever worried about that? Because you, you thought in your mind that heaven was a giant church service. No, that, that is Gnosticism. That is Gnosticism. See, that is all Gnosticism. I have a friend who used to, uh, he was so worried because he thought heaven's going to be so boring and he just hoped that there would be breaks because he really loved the breaks uh, after church where he could play with his friends. He's like, oh, well, maybe there'll be, I guess if it will be a singing in church all the time and hearing lectures all the time and thinking deep thoughts and humming to ourselves forever, but maybe there will get breaks where we can go outside and play. I used to, I used to think as a kid, I don't want to go to heaven and I don't want to be raptured away. I had nightmares of the rapture constantly because I want to have a chance to play professional football. See, and I understand that football is a part of what it means to be a Christian. Life is what it means. I, I just, I was a Gnostic. We're all Gnostics. Gnosticism is an ism in our world and it creates our culture. Ideas have consequences. Now, this wasn't supposed to be a lecture on Gnosticism. It's supposed to be a lecture on ideas having consequences. This whole book is a book about ideas having consequences. The world he lives in is dystopian because of their ideas. Got it? But also, the ideas that he writes in his diary, his world is about to change because those ideas are going to be released. That's why the internet is so dangerous for tyrants because the internet provides a decentralization of information and of truth. Exactly, exactly. Um, that's why in tyrannical countries, they censor and they fact check and they block out the Internet. And by tyrannical countries, I mean the United States. But it's much worse in other countries, for sure. The tyrants, like in the Middle East, whenever people flood into the streets by the millions and protest, they are scared to death. There was a revolution in, um, in the Middle East recently. Um, and the name of it... It started from a Facebook group. Exactly. You can't. This is the pamphleteering of the future. It's, um, it's amazing. Then the tyrant got scared and started to bully them and sent the police out. And he shot like this kind of like a handsome young protester. And that was videoed on the Internet. And boom. And the, and the dude had to resign. And basically they overthrew the whole government. Like that can happen just like that. Yes, Benjamin? And they had a guy that said like, because the people that the um, government fear the most are like 
the 20 year old men that just like if they had enough of them they could overthrow anybody that's right so now we see we see some of this some of this censoring and policing thought police you know in executing thought crimes and Winston having to go hide in his corner to write his thoughts why do you have to do that today? You still have to do it today because even though you might not be executed for it, you're going to be shamed. You'll be shamed for it. And who's going to shame you? I'll just be honest with you. The world's going to shame you and the false church and the squishes and the people that don't understand the times that they are living in. They're going to shame you as well. They're going to call you arrogant, unloving, etc., etc. They're going to even say that what you're doing is distracting from our real job to be evangelists and to make sure that the individual souls are given a, a ticket to heaven. No, no, no. Our main job is to declare the gospel of the kingdom, which is over all, and that Jesus is Lord over all. And so you're going to deal with the rest of your life. When you say a truth, it's going to be called a conspiracy theory. Right, a conspiracy theory is just anything that goes against the narrative, right? And what is a narrative? It's a, a lie often repeated and believed by uh, most citizens of Inksoc. That's a narrative. And every event in history and everything you see on television is going to be twisted, right, by the power brokers, right? And you're going to be you're going to be shown a bad guy. That's the bad guy over there, Goldstein, right? Yeah, whatever the bad guy is, um, and you're going to be demanded to hate that, right? And to show and your hate for it, and to demonstrate your loyalty to, uh, to Ingsoc. This is so, so true today, and it, it happens even in the church, and uh, even Christians who are not familiar with the, t- the signs of the time, like the sons of Issachar in the Bible. They were wise, and they knew the signs of the time, and Christians like that are usually dupes for the tyrant. Usually dupes for the tyrant. <clears throat> so for, I, for tyranny to thrive, ideas have to be squelched, censored. Those who speak them must be shamed, rebuked, comforted, accused, maybe even executed, you know, depending on the type of the style of, of oppression. Um, and this, and this is our last point, this is why it's so very important for faithful Christians to commit thought crimes. We're committing a thought crime right now. Just like Winston Right. This whole school is a thought crime, just so you understand. <laughs> Everything in this class is a thought crime. Right. What is a thought crime? Anyone? Go, thinking something that is against the narrative. Yeah, thinking something against the approved truths. Right. Um, what we call that in today's world, just so you understand, is the Overton window. All right, you might want to write that down. It's O-V-E-R-T-O-N, the Overton window. That's an expression you hear me use and other people. The Overton window is a, um, it is sort of the limits or the range of acceptable ideas and things to talk about. Okay. And if you talk about things or say certain words outside of the Overton window, then you get policed for it. Not typically going to be executed. You know, some people do get executed. The laptop, the 
Hunter's laptop. Oh yeah, that I mean that that was a recent a recent thing. You know, if if you talk about that, you'll be censored. But even in church, I promise you, even in church, there's certain things you're not supposed to talk about. You have to stay within the Overton window, and if you stay outside of the Overton window, if you go outside of it, you will be you will be you will be quickly shamed, dismissed, and suppressed. But it's very important for Christians to speak outside the Overton window. Why? Because Jesus sets the standards. He is our king. He is our Lord. If you are loyal to the Overton window, you are not loyal to Jesus. If you're going to be loyal to Jesus, you have to speak his law. And trust me, his law is not politically correct, which is another way of saying not within the bounds of of Inksock's approved thinking. Right? If the Bible um, says something about uh, laws on slavery, then that's what the Bible says. If the Bible says that God decreed the genocide of the Amalekites, then that's what the Bible says. If God says that a husband is the head of the household and not the woman, and that women should not be leading in the church, then that's what the Bible says. If it says that Jonah was swallowed by a fish, then Jonah was swallowed by a fish. Right? And, and if you're not loyal to that, for whatever reason, fear, um, ambition, you want to be accepted by the world and thought of as academic, if you're not loyal to that, then you're, then, uh, you're definitely in sin. But uh, as Christians, so as Christians, just by definition, you're going to have to commit thought crimes. And my personal opinion, this can't be verified, is that it's best to start off your life committing thought crimes and to continue to commit thought crimes throughout your life so that the uh, consequences don't get too big. Um, let me explain what I'm saying. Um, if, if, if you're applying for a job, okay, you're 23 years old, and this is a training job where they're going to train you how to be a uh, diesel mechanic, okay? And you go to that job, and they ask you, um, hey, you know, what part does religion play in your day-to-day life? And you say, ah, oh, you know, well, I go to church. You know, I love God. And you, and you downplay it. You know what I mean? You downplay it right there because you don't want to be, look, you don't want to look bad or you don't want to not get the job. Okay. Then you might get the job. But then what's going to happen? You think God's going to be okay with that? No, no, no. Other, oper- other things are going to happen. And you're going to have to continue to downplay it and continue to downplay it until you apostatize. Or something's going to happen. You're going to have someone at work that now all of a sudden identifies as a woman. And, the, and corporate just sent out an email that says you have to call them Lashonda and refer to them as a she-shim. Now, are you going to do it? Well, if and you you're do, go- then you'll lose your job. And instead of just having gone to... A are church, you going to be loyal to the truth? Are you going to be loyal to, to King Jesus and to reality? Are you going to be loyal to reality? Are you going to love that person? Are you going to confirm their delusions and their mental illness and their Gnosticism? Right? So now what's going to happen? You're going to lose your job. Now what happens if that was 15 years later and the only thing you know how to do is diesel mechanic? Right? And... Now you have to start all over again. It's best, I think, to stand up for the truth and be loyal to Jesus and to commit thought crimes and to speak outside the Overton window and be non-politically correct. That way you can be directed by God into a a less fragile um, place of life. You understand what I mean? Um, if If you compromise and you play along, eventually 
um, you're going to be stuck in a pickle if you don't eventually apostatize, because usually that's what happens. If you make excuses and you compromise, eventually you will make more excuses and more excuses and more excuses, right? And then eventually you'll be like Winston, stuck in your little room, um, scared to death of saying anything, right? Hope y'all, hopefully you all understand that. Um, modern Christians who are educated by Big Brother believe that thinking thought crimes is unloving, sinful, inappropriate, gets in the way of evangelism, which they believe is rescuing souls from this dying world so they can go to heaven. Why worry about all that, all that other stuff, right? And they might be well-intentioned, but they are misguided, and they leave the world susceptible to tyranny. So I hope you understand that. <clears throat> Another thing here is that Thought crimes are related to doublethink. Okay, now, so here's the thing. If you're not going to commit a thought crime, what must you commit? A truth. No, if you're not going to think a thought crime, you're going to have to hold to doublethink. Have you all come across that term yet? Yeah. All right, good. We'll talk more about double doublethink less time. But doublethink is when you hold inconsistent beliefs in your head to keep yourself safe. Right? And, to, make, and to, to keep yourself from being persecuted. You are intentionally inconsistent with the truth because you don't want to pay the price of having that, that uh, thought crime. Make sense? Mm-hmm. All right. Winston and Julia, what are they doing? They're compromising. They're pretending. Right? They don't, they, they don't have double think, but they don't want to let anyone know what they're thinking actually. We haven't gone to Julia. Yeah, Julia is gonna be. Julia is the girl he thinks is a sellout and a a party member sellout, but she's actually just faking, as you'll see. The one with the anti-sex thing. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And of course, and we mentioned this already, also related to double speak and thought crimes is new speak. New speak is replacing old speak, in the same way it's happening in our world. Right? Used to have a mailman, can't say that anymore. Now it's a male person. Right. (laughs) Um, And do you know what's really behind that? Man, as a covenantal language, for all of human history, um, women have been represented by the word man or mankind because it points to the covenantal headship of Adam over all of humanity. So as they reject covenantalism and they reject the biblical history, now everyone's an individual and autonomous, so now you say male man and male woman. That's the ism underneath that dictionary switch right or, no or, now it's comrade that's right so uh, anyway we've rambled and talked about quite a bit enough that's enough for today